Hey everyone, welcome to Taking the Pulse, a healthcare and life sciences video podcast. I am Heather Hoops Matthews with NP Strategy here in the studio today with Matthew Roberts, a Nexon Pruitt healthcare attorney. Matthew, good to be with you. Good to see you. Matthew, we often see employment and healthcare issues together. That's true. That's true. When we do work for hospitals, hospitals are usually the, uh, one of the largest, if not the largest, employer in the community. So how they manage their workforce is usually reflective of best practices and mm -hmm. what's happening in the employment world outside of, of that community. So at, uh, it's interesting to tr track the trends that flow through employment into healthcare. They go together. They do go together. And that's going to be our topic for today. Joining us is Juana Slade. She is the Chief Diversity Officer and the Director of Language Services at AnMed Health. AnMed is a 461-bed acute care hospital in Anderson, South Carolina. That's in the upstate. Juana directs the DEI initiatives and language and interpreter services at AnMed, which is South Carolina's largest not-for-profit health system. Juana, thank you so much for joining us today. Delighted to be here. Uh, glad to talk about my passion. All right, well, I can see it in your face already. And you you do have a, a rich career in DEI and healthcare. Can you talk a little bit about your background as we get started? Um, you know, both just prior to AnMed and then outside of your career at AnMed. Sure. Uh, I had the opportunity of uh, working at another hospital system here in the upstate, and uh, we established a, a program there, a diversity initiative there, based solely around um, a misunderstood, misinterpreted uh, article that rang and ran in the local newspaper. And so um, a team of us were assigned to work with um, an administrator at the time and uh, make the decision um, that we needed to make on behalf of our hospital system to make sure that we were sending the right kinds of messages about uh, diversity, health equity, and inclusion. At the time, we were only talking primarily about uh, the workforce, and that would be um, diversity and inclusion. So um, that experience gave me the opportunity to contribute as a volunteer to that organization. And uh, four or five years later, I received a phone call and had the opportunity to come to AnMed Health. And uh, at the time, we were the second health system in the state of South Carolina to see the value in uh, DNI and to actually dedicate full-time resources to that work. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit uh, more about uh, the evolution of health equity into our work, uh, thus uh, DEI. Well, Wanda, you've been at AnMed for 21 years, and as you mentioned, AnMed was the second hospital to hire diversity officer. Can you talk a little bit about what uh, your career at AnMed has been like and how AnMed, presumably through your, your leadership, has become a leader in this DE&I initiative in the healthcare space? Sure. Uh, I think in, in the broader diversity uh, environment in our industry, there are a couple of things that are key. And uh, number one, that would be uh, finding the way to connect the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, to the bottom line of the organization, to the product, if you will, to the service. And in our case, uh, the health and health status of the community that we are privileged to serve. Uh, the other thing that's critical would be uh, leadership. Uh, making sure that this is not just the flavor of the month, that we are not just making a decision uh, to help people kind of do the right thing. Uh, we hope that 
uh, as a, the picture says over my shoulder, we do unto others as you have them do unto you. That's not the primary purpose uh, for diversity in healthcare uh, or diversity in the workplace. And so having the leader that understands that this is about separating yourself from uh, other players in the market or other individuals or uh, systems that may be selling what your product happens to be. And as I said, in our instance, we're talking about healthcare. We want to be the employer of choice, uh, not because we're the only healthcare system uh, in our primary and secondary market, but we want people to choose to come uh, to work here. We want our patients to come to us because we can connect with them uh, irrespective of what their differences happen to be so that Again, they too are making choices about coming to us as a provider uh, rather than coming here because we are the only thing available. You mentioned at the beginning how you began your career uh, really by helping out with an article, news article that, that went wrong. And you, you married your passion here with helping. Over time, what have you seen are some ways that employers can identify uh, issues that need to be addressed, whether it's DE, you know, health equity, or I, inside the organization or in, in your service? Sure, I can give you an example in, in both the diversity space, the equity space, and the inclusion space. Let's start with diversity. I think if you can take a look at your workforce and uh, look at those individuals purely uh, looking at them based on uh, race and ethnicity, uh, you're able to find out if, in fact, your organization mirrors the market that you serve. Uh, in our industry, that usually is it's pretty fair and pretty uh, uh, appropriately distributed. But the real difference is when you look at those individuals who are making the leadership decisions on behalf of that organization, how do those individuals are those uh, representations? How do, how do those persons compare to the makeup of your primary market. That's kind of diversity in general. Uh, then when it comes to equity, uh, we now want to make sure that we're looking at uh, patient outcomes that are stratified uh, both by zip code and perhaps by race and or ethnicity. Are there differences in the outcomes and health experiences of those patient populations? Are you collecting your patient experience uh, responses are you collecting them and then taking a look at who those individuals were? And if you are able to stratify them, can you find differences perhaps in a particular area? Are there differences in response? Um, are there differences in experience based on uh, the, the race of the, the patients who would provide those responses to you? And then finally around inclusion, um, it sounds a bit um, trite, but I often say that just because I'm in the room, it doesn't mean that I'm included in the discussion. And so uh, we want to make sure that in healthcare, we're looking at individuals um, before they make the decision to come to, to work at, at our system. We want to make sure that those individuals have a chance, uh, whether they're in middle school, whether they're in high school, whether they are um, and considering an allied health career, whether or not they're considering a, a career as a provider, are we creating those opportunities across the board? Are we including all people who could perhaps either use our service or certainly um, chart a course as a, a healthcare provider or support individual? Right. One of hospitals, um, it, communication within hospitals is important. It's vital to the delivery of healthcare. 
Can you talk a little bit about ANMED's language and interpretation services, which has become a lot more important in the last decade, I presume, than it ever has been? Back to the um, one of my opening comments, and that's the comment around leadership. Um, we've had a language services strategy in our organization uh, since 2004. And I believe in 2004, when uh, perhaps it wasn't as perceived as important, uh, I was given the opportunity to come and build a program that allowed me to uh, take the time, take the resources, build the right kind of protocol, if you will, that would allow us to make decisions that were appropriate, that would allow us to comply with federal law. And federal law says that as, as recipients of federal funds, which hospital systems are, uh, we are required to provide meaningful access, regardless of uh, race, uh, gender, or sexual orientation. We need to make sure that those services are available. And so I had the benefit of time uh, to very slowly build that service, those programs uh, here that allow us to track a person's language, uh, to make sure that every single time that person who speaks a language other than English, that person has the support that they need. Now, here's what oftentimes we misunderstand about that. We are an industry of risks. And so we take risks every single day. If a provider cannot take confidence that his patient or her patient understands and can contribute to his or her care, uh, they're taking a, a, a risk. And certainly you would imagine that in an organization where 95% of us or 90, 96 or 7% of us are English speakers, we're taking a risk in providing care to patients when that patient uh, does not also speak English. And so it's important for us to have a system, a process in place that allows us to take confidence in that language uh, capacity of the interpreter, um, that we can take confidence in the documents that are being translated on behalf of our patients are accurate so that we can mitigate that risk. So it's not about giving away something to uh, individuals who perhaps should speak English, but it's, it's about making sure that we are protecting and mitigating the risk to our organization. Uh, that year in, in 2004, when we started, we had roughly 4,000 encounters. This year, well, last year in, in the midst of COVID, we had 24,000 encounters. Wow. Those were 24,000 times that we could have gotten it wrong. And so what we want to do is to make sure that we are supporting our organization and that we are providing uh, our, our staff, our medical staff, support individuals, uh, and our patients, we're providing them with a communication tool that allows them to interact with each other accurately, every patient, every time. You mentioned the pandemic that uh, both illuminated and widened healthcare disparities. What did you see over the course of the pandemic and then how, how, how was ANMED able to respond? Um, I, I, I really and truly am, am fortunate to work for an organization uh, like ANMED Health. Uh, we, um, we truly try to think um, through processes and we think about not only what we need to have uh, in place, but also what our patients need, our medical group did an amazing job in standing up a, an immediate response uh, to, to uh, the pandemic. Uh, we pivoted 
from inpatient in-person care rather to uh, telemedicine in an extremely short period of time. But it's because we have um, kind of this collective attitude around working together and working as a team. Uh, we made sure that we were having conversations that in some instances might have been pretty difficult to have as related to the outcome of uh, our patients relative to the pandemic. Um, you were exactly right. It, the, the pandemic allowed not just AnMed Health, it, it allowed the entire country uh, to acknowledge that there are different health experiences. And unfortunately, um, many times those, are, those experiences um, are different for people in rural communities, um, women, and for children. We can't pretend that we don't know. Once you know, you 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 know. Once you see it, you're aware. And and the the, the pandemic allowed us all to see it. What What do you think if if AnMed is one of the largest employers? What do you think the their role is to promote what you've done internally with respect to DE and I externally within the community and to be a leader for other employers? with the, the things you've done over the last two decades that you've been there? It's our responsibility. Um, uh, we need to uh, be a leader in every regard. Uh, I think we've got to be a leader in the midst of tough conversations. Uh, there are marginalized people within our primary market. Um, and many of those individuals, uh, unfortunately, are very uh, close to, actually physically very close to our emergency room. Um, they, those experiences are very different. Um, when we think about the, the individuals who live in the zip codes that don't necessarily have the access to uh, primary care and they don't have the, the resources to pay for primary care, even if they live near primary care, it's our responsibility to try to figure out how do we uh, address the social determinants of health. Um, research shows that a hospital healthcare system uh, only impacts about 20% of a person's health status. The other 80% happen outside of the walls of the health system. And so we have a major role. Not only uh, is it our responsibility, as I said earlier, to mitigate risk, but it's our responsibility to try to reduce cost. How can we take care of individuals, um, of course, who don't have the assets and the resources to uh, provide their own care, how can we create an environment that allows them to be healthier in their lifestyles, that allows them to do, to, to even consume healthy foods on a regular basis? I mean, when I think about uh, many of those same communities um, that are high utilizers of our services in the emergency department, when you just think about the types of food that they have access to, it's a quite different experience um, just four or five miles up the road uh, from the emergency room where there are uh, walking trails, where there are restaurants, where there are uh, grocery stores and there, there is access to healthy food. It's our responsibility to shine a light in, on those kinds of conversations and engage all of us, even in those topics and issues that might be uncomfortable. Or in some instances, folks may say, well, that's not the hospital's role. You said it yourself. 
Um, we are the largest employer in Anderson County, and it's our responsibility to have those conversations, those tough conversations. What, what do you think about the trend of, of going to where the patients are? So they're not coming to the hospital, but they're going to them through using technology, using some outreach services. Uh, a lot of times preventative. These are preventative measures to try to keep people, ironically, out of the hospital. Yes. And I think that part of that uh, requires um, the intelligence, the knowledge of the hospital system to know uh, what are the chronic conditions in my primary market? What are some of the challenges that I have? And how can I take assets to those communities? I think um, there are many hospitals across the country that understand the power of the community health worker. Uh, a community health worker brings credibility uh, to the hospital system. Um, you know, oftentimes we, we like to connect with individuals who look like us or individuals who may have similar experiences. And so having a community health worker to uh, be the broker, if you will, on behalf of the hospital system certainly does help. Uh, one of our strategies in language services, it's, it's a, certainly a, a comparative example. Um, we have a protocol that helps us decide when we need an in-person interpreter, what encounters might be best if we're using video to have conversations just as we are here, or when is it, when is it appropriate? What kinds of encounters can we simply use uh, the telephone for? And, and I think when, when we apply that same kind of logic to the value of connecting with people where they are, um, as I said earlier about the, the pandemic and, and uh, the health disparities, we found a way to turn very quickly and realize our providers needed to connect their patients and it was not gonna be for the foreseeable future of the traditional in office visit with the physician. And so it's that same kind of thinking that we gotta continue uh, to do, looking for those opportunities to do our work differently, just as, just as effectively, just as equitably, just as efficiently, but it has to be differently. Okay. Speaking of the community, you are involved in a lot of organizations and uh, they tell me that you were recently appointed board chair for the Alliance for a Healthier South Carolina. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, your leadership in this organization and, and how it addresses the health care disparities? Well, um, I am the immediate past chair of the Alliance. Uh. And the thing that is so interesting about that, um, I uh, became chair of the Alliance um, at the onset of COVID. I never got to convene an in-person meeting. The two years of the, the depth and breadth of the work that we did during my two-year term was all done virtually uh, because we were in the midst of a once-in-a-century uh, pandemic. Um, just as with um, our own organization and health systems across the country, we realized that the work couldn't stop because we had run into this thing called COVID-19. And so um, it allowed all of us who were involved and in, who are involved in the Alliance, it, allows us, it allowed us to recognize that the work had to go forward, that we would have to make sure that we were addressing those issues that were um, most important, uh, those social determinants that were most important. Uh, we had to figure out a way to, to, to continue that work despite uh, the pandemic. Uh, the Alliance is a, a group of uh, 60 entities from all across the state of South Carolina who simply see value in, in 
finding ways to uh, connect, to catalyze, and to convene conversations around health and health disparities. So the social determinants of health uh, led us to create the uh, alliance. I think it was formed in 2015 or 16. And since then it has evolved over time. And uh, we've grown from about 30 organizations to about 60 organizations. Well, I'm glad you formed before the pandemic, right? Right. Because you were in position then. Yeah and expanded the services, it's, it's impressive. Our time has flown by and I, I found our conversation fascinating and uh, I've made some notes because I think that there could be follow-up with us yes, so. <laughs> for you on a couple of things. But um, Juana Slay, thank you so much. Chief Diversity Officer and Director of Language Services at AnMed Health. You have been doing a, a good work for a couple decades and um, thank you and press on. Thank you for having me. Matthew, I did not think about patient outcomes in including with disparity. Yeah, so the DE&I uh, initiatives are beyond hiring and firing. Mm-hmm. And COVID, I think, exposed that. Uh, and, and healthcare systems are finding that out because they're treating the whole person and they need to understand everything about the person mm-hmm. to get the best result. Yes. Well, it's fascinating. And I'm sure that they will learn a lot just from talking to people and getting, you know, honest feedback. Makes me think I should fill out the form next time I go. (laughs) Right. Uh, For those of you who joined us today, we hope you enjoyed this conversation and learned a little bit more about DE&I in the healthcare system. If you have any ideas for us for taking the pulse, shoot them our way. We love to hear from, from you who listen and watch. And on behalf of the entire team, thanks for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next time right here on Taking the Pulse, a healthcare and life sciences podcast. 